Lord, there's something about these words that resonates. To be human is to know what it is to battle. To be human is to know what it is to struggle. To be human is to know what it is to fight. And oftentimes, uh, Lord, we battle, we fight, we struggle, and we feel like we don't win. We don't always know how to overcome the thing that we feel like is overcoming us. We just don't know. So thank you for these words that tell us it's not how we understand it. That's not how we fight our battles. We fight our battles because we, we feel surrounded, but we understand there's a bigger story. When it feels like we are overwhelmed and surrounded, the bigger story is that you surround all of that. And so right now in this moment, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would teach us how to fight that way. As we listen to your word, as we hear your spirit nudge us and whisper to us and point us in a better direction, give us receptive hearts and minds. And may the words of my mouth right now and the the meditation of our hearts in this moment be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray this and we say this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. I want to invite you to remain standing with me. It's our practice to read the scriptures together out loud and we stand out of reverence for God's word. So even if you're at home, I'd invite you to stand if you would and I'll read this Psalm 13 we'll be looking at today. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? (laughs) How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart. Ever been there? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. We're kicking off a new series today, and we're calling it Good Grief. And we want to give you some tools for handling loss. Now, I understand that we're all sick of COVID. We wish it would go away. We don't even want to hear the word. But I uh, would like, if I could, to just attempt to narrate the experience that we've been through over the last months together. It's been a season of loss. Uh, It's been loss on all kinds of levels. Many of you have lost family members. Many of you have lost income. Many of you have lost opportunities. Many of you have lost a future you are anticipating. I was sitting on my back deck on Thursday night, and I was finalizing uh, this message, and and we live in Andover, and so we're not far from the park that's there in Andover. And unbeknownst to me, the Music Theater of Wichita uh, decided because of COVID that they would do the first few shows of their season at the park. So about a quarter mile away, um, I've been uh, uh, listening to all of their performances, and it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. If you would like a free uh, rehearsal of all of the songs, I learned them all, and I'll sing them for you after the service. It's be free. 
um, unless you want to give a donation to my kids' college fund. That would be great. Uh, but, but I was listening uh, on Thursday night, getting ready for this message, and, and one of the artists who was uh, there, uh, I could hear the words, it's so close, and uh, said something that I thought encapsulated because he was talking about COVID, and these are artists who travel around the world, and, and this is what he said. I captured it. I wrote it down because I thought that's so, so key, so right on, on what we're all feeling. This is what he said. It's awful to have the world taken away from you and you can't do anything about it. That's about right. So this season of loss, my my question for you as we uh, launch into this series is, how are you handling it? Now, there's a biblical category for the human experience of loss, and uh, the word is lament. I don't know if you're familiar with that word. It just means sorrow or grief or loss. And what I hope to do through this series, and specifically today, is give you permission to be in your current moment, and then over the course of this series, I I hope you can find some tools to help you move through uh, the, the things that you are feeling. Now, I want to pause right there before we jump back, and I want to just give you a a bird's eye view of us as a church so you can kind of get a sense of um, where we're going, what we're about, and why we would do things like this. Uh, Just fundamentally, we just want to help you grow. Um, We want to help your, your, uh, your life be better. We want to help your family be better. We want to help your marriage be better. If you're a parent, we want to help you be a better parent. Um, if you're a student, we want to help you uh, understand what it means to be a human being and grow. We just want to help you grow. And our uh, assumption is the best way to do that is by following Jesus. And so we're together working out how we follow Jesus. And so there are a few things that we're investing ourselves in as a church. Number one is we want to have a, a kind of a captivating environment like a, like a room like this. And we hope as you show up in environments like this, that you, uh, that you experience the presence of God, you discover what God's like, you find out how much God loves you, and the result, what happens in you is that you grow a passionate kind of a spirituality, that's what comes out for you. And then we hope that you also get involved in some kind of group. Now, listen, uh, for a church that's reaching people and growing and uh, trying to help people be better, that means new people are always coming. And here's the reality is if that's the case, you can't be in a church where you know everybody. It's just not possible. There's too many people to know. It just doesn't work that way. But here's what we hope for every person. Not that we would uh, all know each other and all know each other by name, but that every single person would be known by a few somebodies. So we think it's incredibly important that you be in a group. In fact, that's the heart of our church. Um, So we have groups meeting throughout the city and then some that meet here on Sunday mornings. And so we want you to experience authentic community. So passionate spirituality, authentic community. And then we want to serve our city. We want to have a sense of empowered mission to our city. We want to make a difference in our city. We want to be the kind of church that if we were to go away, the whole city would say, oh, no, 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 you can't leave. You're too important to this city, what, the way you serve it and love it and care for it. And so we want to bless and serve people, even if they never agree with us, because that's the heart of Jesus. And so uh, we want to have a sense of empowered mission. Now, we want to do that so many times that we reach 1% of Wichita. Now, if you've done the math, I'll give you raw numbers. That's 6,000 people. Um, It's not about the number, but it's about the people. It's about the people that we want to connect with. And so the way we do that is you share. You share. This is meant to be shared. I don't know if you know that about your faith. Uh, It's meant to be shared. Do you remember growing up um, uh, when the the ice cream truck would come by? Do you remember this experience? Like Anwar. I'm looking at Anwar. Did they have have the ice cream truck in the Caribbean? 
Absolutely. Amen for the ice cream truck. So universal experience, at least in the Western Hemisphere. So, you, you know, you would get the ice cream truck and you would go and you'd have like your 75 cents or $1.25 and you would get your, you know, bomb pop or whatever it was. Many people treat their faith like it's the ice cream truck and if I get some, that means someone else doesn't. Are you sold out? No, no, it's not like that. The ice cream truck is, it's, imagine the ice cream truck is free for everybody and you want all of your friends to know. So it's got to be you sharing your experience. And so we even have, and we'll do this at the start of each series, but if you're an introvert and you're like, I couldn't invite anybody, that's too scary. So we made up these cards, has the, the title of the series, and then on the back, and they'll be in the back back there, um, are all of the, uh, the weeks of the series. So if you know someone who's gone through some loss or is struggling, you can say, hey, I think this is going to help you. It's at my church, and um, it's got all of our information on the back. So it's just a tool for you. But I just wanted to give you that brief window into who we are. Well, I want to talk to you today about grief. And um, when we talk about grief and we talk about grieving, I, I think sometimes that we're a little bit too narrow in our definition. Uh, we think about grief as something that happens to people who lose somebody, and it's definitely that. But we even talk about it in ways. We say things like, you know, that's a grief-stricken widow, and, 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 and yes, that's a part of, of, of grief, but I, I think there's a stigma attached to people who grieve. My dad, who, um, when my mom died when I was 16, um, he remarried, and then five years later, uh, his second wife also died of cancer. I tell him he's hard on women. And um, now he's remarried to his third wife, who's just a sweetheart of a lady. But he said that when he, when he lost uh, my mom and then his second wife, he said, I, it felt like no one knew what to do with me in the church anymore. They didn't know what to say, and they didn't know how to treat me. And, and there's, so there's this stigma attached to grieving, and, and could we take the stigma away? Because it, it, it's an icky word, and it makes us feel funny. We honestly don't know what to do when we grieve. We usually don't know what to do when someone else is grieving. It's this awkward kind of experience. And so if I could, I'd like to just kind of narrate what we have been through the last months together. And, and it's a, it, frankly, it's a four-letter word experience. And we said the word earlier and, and it's a four-letter, it's profane, it's loss. It's loss. And, and grief is, is the name of the emotion that we feel when we go through loss. That's, if you want to name it. So loss is the experience, and grief is the emotion. And there's power and understanding and being able to name the emotion. Loss is the experience, and grief is the emotion. Now, life is like that, right? We're emotional uh, creatures, there's emotion that comes with the experiences of life. You know, you have a child and you feel something like joy. Uh, you get married on your wedding day and you feel some kind of sense of satisfaction, like I've found the one who my soul loves. When you, when you win at work or uh, in sports or at school, you feel elation. And when you go through loss, what you feel, the name of that emotion that you often can't articulate is grief. Now, if you have raised uh, kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about here, but you've had little kids and they lose something to, that to us means nothing and they lose this little something and they absolutely have a meltdown. What's really fun is for that to happen in the aisle at Target. That's awesome. Um, and so they have this meltdown and we know that that's an immature response to losing something that feels uh, important to them. But, but with that experience that we witness in our little kids tells us something. It's reminding us of something that loss, the experience of loss 
hurts. And you don't go through loss without hurting. And we've gone through loss. So many of us, we're trying to name this thing that we feel, and it's grief. So I want to give you two lenses to help you grapple with your grief. The first lens that I want to give to you, let me just call it uh, the lens of math. The lens of math. And, And the reason I'm using that phrase is that loss often comes to us through subtraction and through addition. There are, uh, there, there are things that happen that we can count. You know, we know that they happened. And so things like subtraction, uh, we, things are taken from us, a death of a, of, a, of a spouse or a parent or a friend or a pet. Some of us have lost jobs. We've lost income. We've, we've lost physical ability. We've lost opportunities. We've lost experiences we were sure we would have. What was now isn't. And by the same token, this is why it's math, is it's also addition. Things get added to us. So what wasn't now is. And so you get a diagnosis that you wish you didn't have or you have conflict or more responsibility is put on you because of the the circumstances of life or stress is added to us or anxiety or loneliness are added to us. I mean, these the reason it's the lens of math is because we can all add up these things or subtract these things and, and, and they count for us the loss of what we know. So there's the lens of math. And then there's the lens of, uh, I'll call it the lens of exile. It's a, it's a biblical lens. And, and if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know it's the story of the people of God from the beginning of, of Genesis all the way to the, uh, the end of the Old Testament. And if you know history, you know, might know that in around 590 BC, 586 BC, the Babylonian Empire, superpower of the day, went and, uh, to Jerusalem and conquered Jerusalem and took all the best and the brightest in exile to Babylon. It's the story of it is recorded in the book of the Old Testament book of Daniel. And um, that's, how the, that's how the Babylonian Empire would conquer, is they would go in and they would take the best and brightest and they would put them in their culture and re-enculturate them, and that's how they would conquer, recorded in Daniel. Now, there are two key events of the people of God that are recorded in the Old Testament in the scriptures that we have there. Um, one is the Exodus. I think most people know that story. You've seen the Prince of Egypt by Disney and Moses and the people led out of bondage of slavery in Egypt. There's the Exodus. But then there's this other large thing that often gets overlooked, and it's the exile when the people of God are taken captive. Now, you kind of got to understand a little bit about what's going on in their mind about what they count on and what they're relying on and what their belief system was. And, and they had what I would call four pillars that they just relied on. This is how the world works. And this is what God is like. And, and so they counted on these things all the time. And, and the first one was that there was this irrevocable covenant that God had made with his people through Abraham in Genesis chapter 11. I will be your God and you will be my people. And it's this irrevocable covenant. No one could take that away. And then there was the idea that God uh, owns the land, and so God gave them the land of Israel. And then there was the, the, the covenant that God made with David and said, I'll, as I was with David, I will be with you, and I will always be. And then, and then there was the pillar. People had the assumption that somehow God took up residence in Jerusalem. And so in 586, in a historical act, all of those pillars were knocked out. And so you have this record in the Old Testament of people asking questions like, well, who am I now? Who are we? Where is God? And this is why exile is a lens 
for grief because it's what it feels like, right? It feels like you're a foreigner in a strange country and you're taken there against your will. It feels like you've been cast out of what's normal and what you know. It feels like you lose what was. It feels like you don't know what will be. And you're frankly not sure where God is. People who write about these things, they call these life experiences, they call them parenthetical times. Uh, Think about parentheses. You know, if you like to read, you know when you're reading a sentence and something is there in parentheses, that's a pause in the flow of thought. It's not what was, it's not what will be, it's this pause. And exile, the grief, is an ex- it's, it's a parenthetical time. What we know is not what we're experiencing. What's going to be new is not what we're experiencing. But we're in this now that we don't like. And our, our pillars have been knocked out and taken away. And we have loss. And so exile is the loss of who you are and what you know. And isn't this what it feels like when you're in the parenthetical time? It feels like you lose all of your usual markers. Like, where am I? Someone told me that the anniversary of the tornado in Andover, 30-year anniversary, was just not long ago. And where our house is located is uh, right in what was the path of the tornado. Some of you were here for that. I wasn't here for that, but I, I was around when the, the, the tornado happened in uh, Joplin, Missouri. Um, in the summers, I used to go with my parents to the, the Church of the Nazarene District Assembly there in Joplin every summer. We stayed in the same hotel. I s- swam in the same pool, and I loved it. And I knew that street, that main street that it was on, and, and the tornado came right through that main street. And it was while I was in college. I was traveling for Mid-American Nazarene University. We traveled the seven-state region. And, and I remember driving into Joplin for that first time, and it was absolutely bewildering to me because I didn't see anything that I knew And so because I didn't see anything that I knew, I couldn't place myself. And that's what exile, that's what grief does to us. It makes us say, where am I? (laughs) Who am I right now? And in the middle of all this, where is God? That's what it does to us. So if I could, I'd like to give you permission to grieve. Now, we're not so great at handling grief, and I think there are some reasons why we don't handle grief very well. Um, for one thing, we're very positive as a culture. I'm a positive person. I don't like to be negative. I like to see the positive side of things. But because we're so positive as a culture, there's kind of a cultural pressure to move on when anything is negative. You know, we just kind of like brush it aside because we're positive. We're Americans. Rah! And now, this wasn't always the way it was. We had constant reminders of of the pain of life. Um, It used to be that when grandpa died, you would lay grandpa on the kitchen table and um, he would be there for a while and you would see if he woke up, which is the origin of why we call it awake. And and all the kids would be running around the table and be like, grandpa. And and it, it was everyone's face was in the fact that you would routinely face the pain of life. But as a culture, we've, and I'm grateful for the industry now that helps people uh, work through their grief, but in, in a way, it kind of pushes it off to the side so we aren't all forced to deal with it. And so we have this cultural pressure to always be positive. And if you're not being positive, then you feel like you're wrong or you're on the outside. 
Now, if you're a Christian and you've been around the church, then we have this kind of another reason that we struggle with grief. We kind of have a niceness culture in the church. And I, I, I mean, please be nice. I'm not saying to not be nice. But, you know, that means that we can't really say anything that's labeled as negative. You're not supposed to say that. You're not really supposed to feel anything that's labeled as negative. You know, like, ah, don't, 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 don't express that. We want to be nice. And then uh, we have some kind of bad theology about grief and what we do with it. Now, how do you get good theology? The way you get good theology is you pay attention to Jesus and you do what Jesus does and you think what Jesus thinks. But very honestly, you and I are fallible. And so oftentimes we have bad theology or what my mom used to call stinking thinking. You know, we just... We just don't think right about things. And so when we have bad theology, it causes us to misunderstand our experience. And so we think, well, I I don't think we ever say this explicitly, but it just kind of gets picked up in the air. You know, like you get Jesus and then everything is supposed to be settled and you don't struggle anymore. Like you get saved and the addiction goes away. You get sanctified and you're not depressed anymore or, or you know how to always make the right decision. And so we assume something's wrong with us if we're not getting that right. And so I think that we kind of assume that we ought to be what happened uh, for Peter in Matthew chapter 14 where the disciples are in the boat and there's a storm and Jesus is walking on the water to Peter and there he is above the circumstances walking on the wind and the storm and the rage and oh, and we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to do what Jesus did and we think that once you get Jesus, you're able to do that. But we forget, and I think this is the point of Matthew 14, that story there, is that Jesus walked on water, but Peter sank. (laughs) And he walked for a minute, but then he sank, and thank God that Jesus was there to pick him up. I think that's the point of the story in Matthew chapter 14. But because we have this kind of bad theology about our experience, a lot of people have um, what I call trash bag theology when it comes to dealing with pain and grief. What's trash bag theology, Scott? What do you mean? I'm so glad you asked. So a lot of people treat it like this. They'll go, you know, you know how you get a trash day's Thursday at our house, and, and so you take the trash bag, and you collect it all up, and, and you put the scraps in, and you, you put in the pork chop that you were positive you were going to eat as leftovers, but it stayed in the fridge for a week. Anybody else? And then you put it in the bag, you know, and it kind of stinks, and we, in my house, we tell my boys, boys, it's time for the trash. But what a lot of people do is they put it all in the bag, right, which is what you need to do, but then if this is the door to the garage, they open the door to the garage, and they just throw it in there, and they just leave it like that. Like, oh, whew, oh I'm so glad we got it. Oh, wait. There's more trash. Oh, well, I know what to do with that. I know what to do with that trash. I'll just put it through here and I'll, oh, yeah, that's gone. I don't have to worry about that. Oh, my gosh, what is this doing here? And they take the, they take the trash and they open the garage door and they throw it back there. Oh, got rid of my pain, got rid of my grief. Don't have to feel that stuff anymore. Oh, is not that feel good? Now, what do we know if that was the way you treated the week old pork chops? Well, it wouldn't be long if that was your approach that every time you felt something, you just threw it through the door and closed the door. It wouldn't be long before you would be standing in your kitchen and you would. Like you'd smell your kids. What, what, and you'd go, what is that smell? And then you'd, you'd do that, and that'd be the first sign. And then, then you'd be standing in your kitchen, and you'd be making more pork chops, 
and you would see a bug run across your feet, and you'd go, we have what in our house? Here's, what, here's the point I'm trying to make. If that's how you handle your grief, you just throw it through the door and forget it. Eventually, what is on the other side of the door will come out. You can't avoid it. But we have this trash bag theology. We have this, 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 this misunderstanding of our experience. And then at the same time, our bad theology causes us to misunderstand what God's like. Often in the Old Testament, and then again in the New, God's referenced as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, that was a, a father, a son, and a grandson in a line in the Old Testament. Starts in Genesis chapter 11. And that's a way to think about what God's like. He's the God of those people. And if you know those stories, Abraham left his father and his land, and he went to the place that God promised. And so Abraham is this example of a person who trusts God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in his letter in Romans, he says, Abraham is the example of what it means to have faith in the first place. You trust God. And so we like that. We like that picture of God. God is the God of people that trust him. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right, God. Uh, the God of Isaac, Isaac's the son of Abraham, and Abraham sa- uh, goes to sacrifice his son Abraham. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other time, but Abraham came from a pagan culture where you would routinely sacrifice things like that, and he thought that's what God expected, and so he lays his son on the altar, and God intervenes at the last moment. And, and so it, when we talk about God as the God of Abraham, the God of people who trust, and the God of Isaac, he's the God of those who are rescued. Oh, we like God like that. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love that God, uh, you can trust God, and God rescues you. We're okay with that picture of God. But he's also the God of Jacob. Now, Jacob was the son of Isaac, twin brother. His name means something like liar or cheat. That's what the translation of Jacob means. How would you like to have that as your name? Hey, 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 little cheat, come here. <laughs> hey, little liar, come on over here, buddy. Come on, liar. We're going to take a picture. And there's this scene later in his life when he's, uh, all of his past is catching up with him and he's at night and the, the, the text says that the angel of the Lord comes and he wrestles with Jacob. He fights with Jacob and, and Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord all night long and then in the morning when the dawn comes he says, I, I won't let you go unless you bless me. You can kind of feel the, the, the guts of this guy. And then the angel Lord touches him in the hip and he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. So we're fine with the God of those who, he's the God of people who trust him. He's the God of people who rescue. But the God of people who wrestle with him and demand things from him? What? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So I want to give you permission, and I'm getting to a point. I want to give you permission from God's word to grieve, to wrestle with God over what you're feeling, to, to ask God for God's blessing in the middle of the face of all of this difficulty that you're going through, this loss you're experiencing. Now, I could point out to you, if I could, just from God's word, because some of it, we just need permission to do this, and I want to show you that this is actually how God's word works, and that there's a, a pattern for it, a lament we're going to look at here in just a moment. 
Uh, but there's just the sheer volume of the literature that's written in the Old Testament, the, the, what's called the exilic literature. Uh, there would be the book of Daniel, which is the story of uh, how, how in the world, when you've been removed from uh, all the pillars have been knocked out and you don't know who God is, how do you live with integrity in a place where people are your enemy and against you at all points in times? And, and Daniel's a, a picture of how to do that. And if you've read the, the Old Testament book of Esther, where the, it's a literature of the exile, she's exiled and, and the fact that God is, where is God? And, and, and the story of Esther says, God's with you. You just don't realize it. You don't understand it. Or Nehemiah, who rebuilds the wall, that God actually is going to rebuild your path. Ezra, who, who paints out how you connect with God in the middle of an exile experience. Jeremiah, the prophet, is written out of the exile. In fact, we have it on the wall back as you exit. You'll see the, the scripture verse there that he writes a letter to the exile, the people still in Jerusalem. And he writes them this letter. And he says, listen, see to it that you seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I sent you into exile. For in its peace is your peace, and its its prosperity is your prosperity. And Lamentations, where we get that phrase in Lamentations chapter 3, great is your faithfulness. We have this famous hymn that was written out of that experience. And Nahum, I mean, just the, the literature alone, just written out of the exile. And then you could go to the Psalms. And the Psalms, if, if you don't know where they are, if you have an old-fashioned Bible, if you have um, the Version app or another app, you won't be able to do it this way. But if you have an old-fashioned Bible, you just open right in the middle, and that's the Psalms. That's the, the, and, and for thousands of years, the Psalms have functioned as the prayer book of God's people. It's the prayers that people pray. And uh, one of the categories of the Psalms are, 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 are known as the lament Psalms, the Psalms that express sorrow and grief and loss to God. And when you, when you count up the number of Psalms that are lament Psalms, it's somewhere between 50 and 55 of the Psalms are lament Psalms. Now, do you know how many uh, divisions of the Psalms there are in the whole book of Psalms? 150. So do the math. Uh, 50 into 150 is what? It's 33% or uh, 36% if it's 55 of the books. In other words, let me, let me paint the picture for you like this. A third of our prayers and encounters with God are encounters of lament, expressing sorrow and grief and pain. That's in the prayer book of God's people. In other words, those are the prayers that are okay to pray. And, and a lot of us struggle with prayer. We're like, well, am I praying right? And we think we have to pray like, oh, eternal Father, we thank thee that thou art beneficent and magnificent. Now listen, that's true, but it's not honest to your personal experience. And prayer isn't just true, it's honest. Prayer is honest speech before God. So the Psalms are both true and honest to the human experience. And a third of the time, according to the prayer book of God's people, we are struggling and we need words to say about the struggle that we are experiencing. Let me give you some examples because you might be wrestling with this and saying, what are you, what are you talking about? Psalm 42, one of the Psalms of lament. My tears have been my food day and night. Ever been there? While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. Psalm 88. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Listen, why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Have you ever felt that? Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. In other words, I just feel like you're just against me. And then this is how the psalm ends. Listen, all day long they surround me like a flood. 
they have completely engulfed me and you have taken from me my friend and my neighbor and this is how the psalm ends and darkness is my closest friend have you ever been through an experience in life when it feels like the lights have gone out psalm 137 from, they wrote, from Babylon when they were in captivity. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. What? That's in the Bible? This is people expressing what they feel to God. Honest speech about what they feel. Now, please understand, this is the written word of God. And we, 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 uh, we don't worship the written word of God. We, read, we worship the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus quotes one of the lament psalms while he's on the cross, Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus wasn't making these words up. He was quoting the psalm. You go home and read Psalm 22 today. You'll see exactly what I mean. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? And the words of my groaning. Now, why is this here? Why would God do this? Why would God put this in the Bible? Well, I think the purpose is to give us a structure for our crisis and despair and grief and express trust in God in the face of what feels like the absence of God. When we lived in Indiana, we, uh, we um, had one winter night, uh, my kids looked out the window. They were probably, um, they would have been, you know, really young and looked out the window, and there was this, uh, this stray dog. It was a, a, a chocolate lab, what we found out later, a chocolate lab cocker spaniel mix. So it looked like a, a puppy chocolate lab. Beautiful little dog. And it came, for whatever reason, just to our door. No one was there. It was the middle of the winter. It was cold. And for a couple days, this dog would keep coming back to our door. Now, you got to understand, I was the guy who said to my kids, I'm sorry, kids, I love you, but you're never getting a pet. Um, I don't want to have a pet. I don't want to take care of a pet. I don't want to go visit a vet. I don't want to be the guy who buys a sweater for his dog and takes a family picture with it. I don't want to be that guy. So we're not getting a dog, right? So this dog keeps coming, and my kids would made a little tent at one point, and they put blankets out there, and they got the dog with some food into the blanket and the tents. And, and yes, we adopted the stupid dog. <laughs> And uh, took a picture with the dog wearing a Christmas sweater somewhere in our Facebook. As you can find the, you can find the picture of this dumb dog. Um, and we named her Brinkley. And um, Brinkley was a little bit of a train wreck. She was an anxious dog. And, uh, and in fact, one day we lived on the street, just down the street from the elementary school. And so like police will do, sometimes the police officer would sit actually right in front of our house as kids would go by just to make sure they got there safely. And, and Brinkley had this habit of running after people she didn't know. And she would never, she would lick you when she got to you, but she looked like she was ferocious. And, and she looked like she was going after some kids. And of course, little kids are scared of a dog. She's not big, but they're scared of her. And so the police one day um, tased our dog. And came to, I was out of town at a conference, and, and Andrea came to the door in a bathrobe, and the, the police had the taser holding it, and the dog's like, ah. And, and, and the, the police like, is this your dog? Yeah, it's our dog. And, and finally, he let go of the thing, and the dog took off for three days and finally came back. And uh, Brinkley was a mess. Brinkley was a mess. Well, we finally have this dog, and, and my kids are starting to ask me, well, Dad, can we get other animals, you know? And uh, I finally gave in to the pressure, and, and a couple of my kids really, really wanted a bird. And so, um, and so we got, let me just paint the picture for you here. Uh, Brinkley was a uh, chocolate, still is, a chocolate lab Cocker Spaniel mix. Those are, if you know, those are what kind of dogs? 
Bird dogs. Now, I don't, I don't mean bird dog in the sense of like, hey, let's be friends. I mean bird dog in the sense of, hey, let me eat you. It's like, like that's, that's the sense in which this is a, a bird dog, right? So, uh, so you can see where this is going, right? So uh, I, I'm, I'm, we, got, we have a bird, and we call the bird Bo. And, and Bo is there um, in our house, and the kids would get to where they would put the, her, their finger in the cage, and Bo would jump on their finger, and they would take Bo out, and they'd look, Dad, Bo loves us. And, um, and I remember I was sitting down in my office downstairs, and, and you know how when you're a parent, uh, you learn to discern the cries of your children uh, from uh, when they're really young and they cry, you just run to them. But they, eventually you realize there are some cries that are just, I just want your attention. And then there are other cries that are like, oh my gosh, something terrible just happened. You, you, you know, as a parent, you know how to differentiate those things. So I'm, I'm sitting in my office and I hear one of those cries that is the, oh my word, we could better call the ambulance kind of cries. And I'm, I'm like thinking I'm going to walk out and I'm going to see one of my kids' heads on the ping pong table. Like, it's like that bad, you know? And so I, all three of my kids are witnessing this. I walk out. They've taken Bo out of the cage. I walk out as Brinkley lets go of Bo, and Bo drops dead to the carpet right in front of all of us. Like, I'm walking out at this exact moment right here. And my kids are just like, ah! I mean, we're, if you want to contribute to their counseling fund, uh, just see me afterwards. And so... There, there, there's this, there's this bird, and I, I'm trying to figure out how, what, what do you do to help your kids deal with this kind of traumatic loss? So I, uh, I said, you know what, kids, let's have a funeral for Bo. And so we made a box and uh, put Bo in the box. We got a picture of the box. We put Bo in um, here in just a second. Our first bird, Bo Marshall. And uh, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know how else to help my kids process it. So I got down off the shelf that book that you see there in the picture. That's a, it's known as the Book of Common Prayer. It's an Anglican uh, prayer book. And, and in it are these rites, R-I-T-E, rites of, of you know, expression for loss and worship services. And so I, I flipped to the pages where um, there's a funeral service. And I read through this organized, structured way to express grief. And we stood around this little piece of furniture and said goodbye to Bo. Now, why am, I, why am I telling you that story? Well, I think that's what the lament psalms are. It's a resource given to us in God's word that helps us deal with our grief and our loss. And so you're going to have to do a few things. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to give yourself permission to grieve. Now, God's already given you permission in his word, so what are you waiting for? I understand for some of you this is, uh, this is very jarring and you're like, well, wait a second. I don't know that I can say those kinds of, like I feel them, but I don't know that I can say them to God. And it feels very jarring to you. My college roommate was uh, Scott Dooley. You've, some of you have met Dr. Scott Dooley. He was uh, um, the hospital administrator of the Kujib Nazarene Hospital in, in Papua New Guinea for a number of years, and he was here a few years ago. Um, he and I were friends from the seventh grade on, and then we were roommates through college. And I remember one day, um, he was going through, I don't remember what he was going through, but we were talking about it, and then he, he, he said, let's pray. And my friend Scott said these words. He said, 
God, I'm so disappointed in you. And I got my eyes closed. You know, I'm like, yeah, we're going to pray. And I went, what? It's like, can you say that? Can you express that kind of emotion? I was talking with another one of my friends in another time. I was talking about this experience of loss that I'd been through, and I was trying to sort it out. And I, I talked to my friend multiple times about it, and I just kind of felt bad about bringing it up again. And he said something that was so life-giving to me. He said, uh, would it be okay if you just recognize that you're grieving? Oh. Okay. You have to find a way to process your pain or you'll be stuck by it. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how prayer is a resource for processing your pain. But what I've discovered is that healing comes through revealing. I'm not saying it's instantaneous. I'm just saying that if you don't reveal, you don't heal. And and so, in, in a sense... I don't mean to paint such a stark image here, but you have to say it or you end up sealing it and you throw it through the door. And what I've discovered about that approach where you just, I'll just seal it up, I'll just suck it up, I'll just, I'll just hold on to it, is that sealing leads to seething and souring. It's awful. But you have these resources that are given to you in God's word to process your pain. It's a gift from God. And so you have to trust the process that God's put in place. Later in the summer, we're going to do a series on the Lord's Prayer. And there's that famous phrase, or not the Lord's Prayer, but the the 23rd Psalm. And there's that famous uh, phrase right in the middle that gets read at funerals all the time. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And it's a picture of God as a shepherd guiding us through difficult times. And, and the lament psalms are one of the ways that God is with you. And they function as the, your, your funeral rite for your bow. And they enable you to, to move past it. They, they enable you. I, I'm not trying to say it's, it's an easy process. I'm not trying to say it's a simple process. I'm not saying it's just one time you pray it and it all gets better. I, I, but it enables you to move past it so you can sing the words of, we've been singing this song lately. All my life you have been so, so good. I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you've been faithful. But if you don't say it, you never get to that. Because you just hold on to it in the inside. And so here's what I'd like us to do. I'd, I'd like us, so they're going to throw that verse back up, Psalm 13. I want to invite you to stand with me. And I want you to, I want you to pray this. We're going to say it out loud together. And this is going to function. This is maybe the first time you've been able to say the things that are in your heart that you've been wrestling with, the loss that you've been through, and the grief that you are feeling. And I want us to say this to God because it's a prayer to God. Are you ready? Let's say it out loud. Ready? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. 
Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you that you see beyond our fear. You see beyond our mask. You see beyond our attempts to just shove things behind a door and not deal with them. And before we prepared to deal with those things, before we knew how, you gave us a way in your word to actually deal with them. You prepared for our pain. And so, God, we we need permission today, some of us, to grieve. Recognize that we've gone through loss. So many varieties. And so, Lord, today we bring you the loss that we've been through. We bring you our grief. Trusting that you are the good shepherd. You know how to guide us with your rod and your staff through that valley. So that we can say with the psalmist, so we will fear no evil. And so, Lord, today we need the hope of the resurrection. Thank you that we're resurrection people. So we grieve, but we don't grieve like people without hope. We grieve like people with hope in the resurrection. That this is not it. This is not the final chapter. There's more to come. There's a bigger story. There's a better world. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And, and Lord, we, we ask that you would fill our hearts with the hope of the resurrection. So both as we work through our grief and we help the people around us to grieve, that we would have the ability to be a resource. That you would give us healing power. We ask for this. In your name, Jesus, the name that's above every name. And all God's people said, amen.